You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation, and hope. I am Russell Manser, and this is The Stick Up. Originally from New Zealand, now residing in Australia, current women's world champion boxer, Sugar Neach Johnson. Welcome to The Stick Up. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Big fan of what you're doing and how you're going about it. That's it. A warrior. You uh, went through one of the most tenacious fights I've ever seen for a woman and um, I've been trying to track you down to get you on the podcast. Oh, I'm here. I went to your Susie Ramadan fight and I was so impressed. Like, I've been watching your career coming through, but I, I thought that was just a Herculean performance and one of the best performances from any women's athlete anywhere in the world. Thank you. No, it was definitely a test, that's for sure. And I was I was ready to take take that test um, fighting on the big stage. You know, Susie had a great career and I just felt like um, it was my time to sort of step up. Let's just go back a bit. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Tauranga, New Zealand. You know, I was a bit of a rough little tomboy, walking to school, no shoes on, um, out with all my cousins riding horses after school, down at the marae, like just no shirts on, taking my nan to the pub. Yeah, it was a... Um, tough, tough upbringing. Yeah, yep. And that's where your mental fortitude comes from. It was sort of formed back in them years. Yeah, definitely in the, I think in the younger, just being a bit of a, you know, it wasn't all pretty as I guess everyone is when they're growing up, you know, I think it definitely shaped the the mentality that I have today. What was the family structure? Mum and dad, brothers and sisters, what was the family structure like for you? Uh, mum and dad, one brother, one sister, and I'm the eldest. My mum had a stillborn baby after my youngest sister. Um, and then just I had a lot of cousins living nearby. That's good kids growing up with that, isn't it? And back in the days where you could play out in the streets and pretty much the only rule was the only rule we had was be inside before dark time. That, that's how I grew up. I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. And that was it. Be home as soon as them lights go down. Be home. Mm-hmm. What did you want to be growing up? What did you aspire to be? What was the dream and aspiration? Um, you know, growing up, I never really like. I didn't really get that far to think. What is it that I want to do? Like. My, my dad, he's a machine operator. My mum, she works in healthcare. And I guess no one in my family have really done something and really made made it. Um, yeah. So for me, I felt like it was hard to try and figure out what it was that I wanted to do or wanted to be. And then when I moved to Australia, I, I found boxing. Because you actually represented Australia in boxing. I read that this morning. I went, wow. I competed at four world championships throughout my my youth and elite um, amateur boxing career. And I was probably in the amateurs for maybe like going on 10 years and had about 80 fights. 80 fights? What was your record? Oh, I'm just guesstimate, maybe like 60 wins, 20 losses. Yeah, wow. 
That's a lot of amateur fights for a female, isn't it? It was, and I and I started pretty young. Like I think I had my first fight at thirteen. How did you end up in a boxing gym? Just for fitness. So I went down to the local gym. Um, my dad's always been pretty big on um, exercise and fitness. So we went to a box fit class, YMCA, and the trainer there, Philip Holiday, he had his own boxing gym. Good fighter in his day, and, Fort uh, Fennec. Yeah, yep. Yeah, we've yeah, had yeah, Jeff on so the show. My, my dad pretty much just goes, I'm bringing her down, chuck her in the ring. He's a ref these days too, isn't he, Philip Holiday? Yes, yep. Good guy, good guy. If you're out there, Phil, good day. He, he really is a good guy. What did boxing do for your self-confidence? Uh, you it know? sort of like brought me out of my shell a little bit. You know, I felt a little bit more empowered that I knew how to protect myself. Not like how to protect myself, but I could at least throw something or, you know, my fitness was good. Um, I was in, I was in good shape and I just felt like being a bit of a tomboy, I always sort of had a little bit of aggression in me, but that was more of a controlled aggression it was pretty how old were you when you walked at first walked into the boxing gym um i was 13 when i first um went to the boxing gym pretty young isn't it and i can imagine what was the general consensus there was it being uh, over the years boxing's been a very pro male sort of sport how how were you received i'm not one to worry too much about what others are thinking if if i want to do it i'm going to do it and i've sort of always been like that and when I went into the gym you know my dad was there with me and he pretty much said you know she's gonna do it and I sort of fell in love with it and a lot of my friends at school they were like oh you know I think they were sort of just like it suits you but then my parents generation was a bit like oh girls shouldn't be boxing you know isn't she a bit young to be going like doing all these things these training wise and worrying about weight and things like that so there was there was a Mix, I guess, thought on it, but at the end of the day, it was something that I wanted to do and I was going to do it anyway. There's a general question, and I, I just come to mind when you were speaking then. What do you say to people that say, oh, you know, girls should never be punched in the stomach? You'd be aware of this question. It's the thing that people think. They go, oh, boxing's so dangerous because girls should never be punched in the stomach. What do you say to that? I think, you know, each to their own, and I've, I've always pretty big on this, like, everyone's going to have an opinion about something, whether they like it or they don't like it, whether they agree or whether they disagree. Um, and it's sort of just like, you know, worry about what you're doing and I'll worry about what I'm doing. The, the science behind it, I think if you get punched in the stomach, it's not going to really prevent you from having children. I don't, I don't think so. Like, you know, if, if you're conditioned enough and you put the training in, I feel like the core, the core muscles are there to protect the insides of, I guess, reproduction. What would you say to young girls in particular that have been bullied or, or have no confidence? You know, I um, I would highly recommend getting into some sort of combat, combat sports, the discipline that it teaches you and just to know that you've got You've got those tools there if you were to ever need them. And I feel like they would understand a little bit better, you know, these bullies and why they do what they do. And I think it's important for the younger girls, like the the bullies, they may be like, oh, okay, she started training now. Maybe she she wants to be aggressive or something like that. But what boxing or combat sports teaches you is that, you know, it's, it's a sport and it's not made for outside for bullies and things like that, but th- that protection is sort of there, if you know mm. what I'm saying. I've always seen it in jail. I've seen the bullies always stayed away from blokes that can fight. Yeah, well, if, if you can fight, like the bullies are usually like they're just trying to pick on somebody that 
can't beat them. Mm. They try to validate themselves in someone else's, you know, softness or whatever. That's crazy. Your first fight, let's talk about that. I mean, I'm always interested in person, someone's first fight. How did? What was the feeling there? I was definitely very nervous, you know, stepping into the ring, eight-ounce gloves, no headgear. Like I was comfortable fighting in front of people. So that, that wasn't too much of the issue. It was more like, okay, I've, I've got no protection here. There's, there's smaller gloves. And I know sort of when you come into the pros, it's all about like hurting the other person. Like I'm going out there to want to hurt her and she's – going out there to want to hurt me, this person on the day that's going to be victorious. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely very nervous. But once I got in there, you know, once you get in that ring, sort of everything sort of just goes and you're zoned in in that moment and you just do what you've been training to do. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess, you know, you had the full support of your, your family when you, you started fighting? 100%. My mum... <laughs> My mum's all about it. My dad's all about it. You know, I wouldn't really be where I am today. My parents used to drive me 45 minutes to train after school and back. So it was straight from school, straight to training, come home, shower, eat. So, yeah, that they supported me all throughout my career. And yeah, I'm very, very grateful to um, have their support. Did, when you found boxing, did you find your purpose? Was, was it a case of that? Um, I, I, I definitely think so. Because, like, even now, if I think about what, like, my life would be boring without boxing, I feel like to some extent, like, I don't know how I'd go without boxing. So in this time, while while I am full-time, I am, like, thinking of ways and opportunities for after boxing. But I definitely have that purpose and that goal now to, you know, unify um, my division. Yeah. Okay, so what countries did you get to travel through your amateur career? That's interesting. Well, the first place that I went to was Turkey for a junior youth world championships. Um, I went to Germany with the Queensland team. I went to Korea, China, Bulgaria, and then I've been to Vegas, Thailand. So I've done a lot of traveling without my bo- throughout my boxing career, and I absolutely love it. Like the people that I met and all the teams and a part of the Australian team. Um, it was it was incredible, and I'm very grateful for the career that I had. I think you just sold boxing to thousands of young girls. I think just your little your, your escapades going away, and why did you decide to turn pro? Well, initially I was um, trialling for the Olympic Games, and I dropped down to 51 for the Commonwealth Games trials, and just the weight division there when it was only 51, 60 and 75 for the females. I was sort of in between 51 and 60 and it got to a point where um, I actually started to hate boxing because I was just constantly on the scales. You know, I, I wouldn't go out with my friends. I wouldn't go out and eat anywhere. I was after breakfast, I was on the scales. After lunch, I was on the scales. After dinner, I was on the scales. It was just getting a little bit draining. I was like, you know what, I don't want to bust my ass to make weight, get over there, and then, like, I, I don't even make weight. So all of this hard work and preparation is, has sort of gone to nothing. So I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to go into the to the pro scene. So what was your first pro fight? My first pro fight was in was in Warrnambool. Victoria, yeah. I was with Mark Wilson. Good, my first good bloke, Mark Wilson. 
Yeah. The trainer yeah, of Justice Honey and many other champions. Good bloke. Yeah, Bethania. yeah. Well, did you train out the did you train out the Bethania? I was with Mark for my first six fights and then I ended up moving to Victoria. So that's why that was the only reason that I left Mark because of the change of state. All right. What's been the biggest difference between fighting pro and amateur besides getting a couple of bucks? I think definitely the the style, like it's a huge difference. You know, in the amateurs, it's sort of like scoring points, scoring as many points as you can. You've only got the four rounds, the three minutes. Whereas in the pros, you can really take your time. You can set up punches. You can slow things down and you, you can land some big shots in there. I love it. I love this because I know how brutal you've been. Like you, I look at you and you're like obviously – you got the model looks and and all that sort of stuff, but to see someone like you come out and blaze like you do with the intensity that you do and the bad intentions you do is um it's quite a sight, you know. Because you know, I guess- you know, fun, funny you say that because it's sort of like I, I don't say that I don't have bad intentions, but me as a person outside of the ring, I'm nothing like I would never want to hurt anybody, you know. But then. I guess when you're competing, it's sort of just you go into this tunnel where you're like, this is my job, this is what I've been training to do, and, you know, I'm going to hurt this this chicken here. I was talking to Jasmine Pale last night, and she was telling me when she first seen her dad knock someone out, she thought she'd killed, he'd killed him, and she, and she was looking at her dad and saying, you've killed him, you killed him, and, and Angela was going, no, no, he's just done his job, <laughs> and she just thought, wow, you know just what I mean? Just done the job. I just picked up on that when you just said that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'll just... I just got to hurt this chick, you know. Man, I love how you do things and I love how you conduct yourself in and out of the ring. Thank All right, you. so what's the goals from here? And I like you're showing some promises as a pro fighter. What you know? Did you start to get that belief that you're going all the way? Hundred percent. You know, I've already got the one world title, and I feel like I'm only sort of just getting started from here. I, I I've always been confident in my ability and confident in the way that I conduct myself as an athlete. You know, I, I give everything to the sport, and I'm I make plenty of sacrifices. You know, I feel like I put in the work, so I definitely see myself, you know, unifying those belts. When we say unify, the, we're talking about getting a three-world title belt, chair yeah, or four? I've got the IBF at the moment, and I'd love to chase the WBA and the WBC. My management is obviously, you know, depending on, on what path they, they have for me and they think it's the right move. Who is your management? Who, who are you managed by? Um, I'm with, so Glenn Azar is my manager and trainer at the moment, but Lou DeBella is my promoter. Big promoter, Lou DeBella. Yes, from Amer- American tra- American promoter, Lou DeBella's had some great fighters. One of the biggest. He's in the top three in the world. He, he is, yep. How does it feel when someone like that takes an interest in you and sees, sees your potential? I think it's very rewarding, as a lot of the other Australian females could agree. Obviously, Ebony and Sky there with Eddie Hearn, so that that's awesome. You know, like he's seen talent in in, in them and what they can do for the sport. So to have Luda Bella see that in me, it's like, okay, this is this is cool. You know, we can really build women's boxing here in Australia. Who's your toughest fight so far? Toughest fight so far. Um. I feel like it would have been a different – if I didn't get cut in the fight with Susie, there would have been, I guess, a bit more work rate and a bit more accurate punches thrown with Susie. But I think it was, you know, I, I went into a little bit of a 
okay, we need to be a little bit cautious here, change the game plan. Um, she was a difficult fighter, um, and I always knew that she was going to because she's just so awkward in the way that she does things. But going back to the fight before that, I think Melissa was probably my toughest fight today. Can you? Who's Melissa? Melissa Esquivel. I I um, fought her for the vacant IBF title. Yep. That was the one before Susie, and yeah, she she was probably my hardest fight today, only because she was. She was hard to train for, like she was very awkward. She had long, lanky arms. Her punches were sort of just coming from anywhere. So I really had to adapt and go back to the basics of staying on my jab, staying on the outside and picking her off towards the end of the fight. What qualities does a boxer or anyone in life or young woman successful young woman, what qualities do they need to possess to, to get to the standard that you've got? Uh, I definitely think commitment is a huge one. Commitment and, and dedication, like there's, there's plenty of times in the sports, especially in the amateurs, you know, I've felt like, you know, is this is this meant for me? Is this all, is this like me giving everything to this sport? Is this something that, uh, that I'm, I'm happy to, you know, take a loss and then rebuild again and then keep building? Like what happens if I lose? Then what do I do? So there's definitely lots of questions that go through your mind, but I think we're staying committed and 100% committed to that goal, whether there's a loss in between or, you know, changes of states or changes of countries that you're living in Whatever it is that you have to do to do well, I think you will do well if you're committed and dedicated to it. I think what you've got is an amazing ability to adapt. You've adapted from one country to another. You seem to be on this trajectory of adapting to different situations, you know, and you do it really well. Like, you do it like you own it. I think you have to be, though. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded to a lot of things. Like, I just think... You have to do, like, if you want to do well, you have to give it 100%. So there's no point like, oh, you know, my friends are in Queensland, my family's there. Like, it comes to a point where you do get a little bit selfish and I feel like some points I am quite guilty of being quite selfish towards my boxing career. I know a bloke called Anthony Bell, one of the most successful businessmen in, in Australia, and that's what he said. He goes, to be successful, you got to be selfish. Yeah, like, I, I definitely... I, I, I don't feel guilty for it anymore because it's it's sort of gotten me to where I am today because I have been so selfish and I've put myself first in a lot of situations. So before the Susie Ramadan fight, your brother was murdered. Mm-hmm. How did you stay focused going into that fight with that behind you? Um, you know, it was, a, it was a very hard time for me and the family and we were sort of on on the edge of announcing it. I think it was maybe a day or two when it happened and I sort of said, can you just, like, give me some time because I really need to think this through. Like, this is a huge fight. My bout's on the line. Um, I just I just need some time. But at the same time, I was sort of like thinking just so many emotions going through my head about my brother. It, it was only me. Like it, at the end of the day, it was up to me and it was my my choice. And I just said, you know what, he he would want me to to still to still fight. And I just thought, you know, if, if I can get through this, 
I can get through anything else that comes up in my career. And I wanted to as I wanted to sort of like challenge myself and I was confident that I would be driven enough to get through the rest of the camp to stay sharp, to keep my head in the game and where I needed to be. Wow, because, man, like your ability to adapt shone through again. Like not many people could have done that, man. Like that was an amazing feat. After the fight, there was a lot of emotions because I was on such a high and then it was like, you know, everything sort of hit me at once. And I think when it happened, I sort of just like blocked everything out. I was just tunnel vision in. So, yeah, after the fight, it was very emotional, very emotional. Tell us a little bit about your brother. What sort of bloke was he? He, he was a bit of a character. He liked to make everyone laugh all the time. But he, he was a rat bag. He... he um, He's been in the lifestyle f- since a young age, so he wasn't always making the right decisions, but he lived a life that he wanted to. Like he was like, why? It's something that I want to do. Like just let me do it. So, you know, we just let him live the life that he wanted to live and he was happy doing it. He loved to make people laugh. Um, he was always a bit of a character so were you, you guys close yeah we were growing up younger but when I moved to um, Melbourne we sort of distanced ourselves a little bit only because of um, the lifestyle he was living and I didn't really want to you know be involved in all of that like I don't, I don't drink I don't party I don't do drugs um, so it was just two very different lifestyles that's very similar to my family you know I'm, I'm the youngest of six I call the other five the black sheep of the family Black you know, sheep. they're hardworking, sports people, business people, and I'd say, you know, these are the black sheep. I even had a brother, whilst I was in prison, being a prison officer, and I used to just go, mate, you're a disgrace. But, and tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. have no doubt he would have been so proud of you. He's so proud of you, and I know you're pretty emotional at the end of that Susie Ramadan fight, but let's, I'd love to talk a bit about that because I personally think it was one of the greatest sporting wins of any women sportsman I've ever seen. Like, what happened is... It was a head clash in a round one, wasn't it? Head clash in round three. Three, was it? Yeah. And you had three. the option, by round four, you had the option of just saying no more and it could have been a draw, yeah? Yep. What was going through your head? I, I wasn't about it. I, I just, I didn't want to borrow that. I, I went into that fight knowing that I was going to win that fight, whether, you know, fighting through that cut or not. I wasn't just going to give up because a bit of blood. Like there was a point in the fight. I reckon you lost the leader. I lost a lot of blood, I think. Yeah. What's his name? Wilson, your, court, your cut man. He done a wonderful job. Craig. Craig. Craig, Ooh, champion, he, like rival. Shout out to rival boxing. I think Craig saved, I don't think, I know he definitely saved that fight because if that bleeding didn't stop the way that it did, then the, the, the fight wouldn't have gone through. I seen, I actually seen you there a couple of days later at the sports clinic and um, that cut you could have driven a truck through. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Like I look at it now and I cringe. There's this photo on my phone and I can sort of like I think it's my I think it's my bone or, or my brain cells in there or something. <laughs> <Brain> cells. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of people talk to I think that really give you a lot of um, publicity. The, the strengths that you the, the lengths that you went to go to in that fight. It was crazy. Like that after- was the fight of the night. That was better than Gambosa's Haney fight. Oh, awesome! I'm going to take that. Take that all day, and uh, come. I'll from take that. 
And my mate Mick Gatto, shout out to Mick Gatto. He, he reckons it was the best female fight he ever seen. Mick actually sponsored that. He helped me um, out with that fight. So thank you, Mick. He's a champion. We've had him on the show too, and uh, he doesn't do podcast. So what's what's coming up for for Neeks? I know there's. Are you fighting an Eddie Hearn fighter? Um, she is on the radar, but I think what's happening at the moment, like I, I haven't got anything set in a date as of yet. I'm just waiting for Lou and Glenn to come to a conclusion of what we're doing next. So I can't really say too much because I don't really know at the moment. But what's next for me is I'm heading over to Canada with Taylor and Glenn on the 4th of March. I'm going to go there to do a bit of camp with her, support her at her fight, and then, fingers crossed, come that time we've got a um, we've got a fight date so I can go into camp. Yeah, well. All right, let's go. So the fight date's announced. You know who you're going to fight. How does it start? What sacrifices start from that day? Right, so fight fight dates announced. I know that I've got, say, I've got an eight-week camp. When it comes to that eight weeks, it's all about me. I, it's, it's just about me, what, what, I, what I eat, what time I go to sleep. So it's pretty much like, okay, it comes 9 o'clock, I'm going to bed. Like My partner, he'll be on his phone in bed of a night time, you know, it's like, Turn that down, put the headphones on. I don't want to see the light. It's time to go to sleep. So I really prioritize my sleep. I prioritize um, my eating because that's such a huge thing. Like food is fuel. I obviously have to make weight. So I've got a fair bit of weight to lose. Training comes first. You know, there might be an event on. I have a friend's wedding and I'm two weeks out from fight night. Guys, I'm so very sorry. I'm in, in, a, in an important time in my camp. I, I can't come to the wedding. You know, like everything about the fight, that has to go first for me. Well, and uh, obviously weight cuts. What's a weight cut like? What, what's your fluctuation? What do you fluctuate at? Um, so I walk around about like anywhere between 61 and 62. Um, and I fight at 55 kilos. I'm at a maintenance phase now, like I'm fully fed, I'm fully hydrated, you know, I'm, I'm not as strict as what I would be in camp. So, you know, if I want to go out and eat dinner two nights a week, if I want to have a dessert here and there, that's that's all within its means at the moment. But when I go into a camp, it's, it's pretty strict, you know, like you're counting calories, you're weighing your food, you're very minimally go out to eat only because you don't know what's in the food that they're cooking what you know what um, salt content what hidden fat content is in the food so weight cuts good on weighing day because you look grouse but you know the the work that's done the day of weighing it's like wow the, the body is pretty pretty amazing and what you can do i seen a photo you got it that you, that you made a comment on one of your own photos of um, weighing down, you go, those abs, what yeah. I would do for them. <laughs> yeah, you know, because as, as bad as it sounds, like I feel like, you know, you get on the scales and you're like, oh, you know, I'm 60-something kilos, I'm this far away from fight. But then you come to accept, you know, it's not healthy to be that lean all the time down at that weight. That's just like get on the scales, get the job done, and then you can put some weight back on. So, yep. It, it took me a long time to accept, okay, fight fight week, weigh-in day, you're not going to look like that all the time. And, this is not, and I guess it's a good question. A lot of people, 
If your natural weight, say, 62 kilos, why wouldn't you fight at that weight? There's always an advantage of, you know, putting in the work to drop some weight. Mm. And I think it's important to, to do the work to drop weight. Otherwise, you know, you're just walking around. It encourages you to train harder, yeah, you reckon? hundred percent, hundred percent, and you know to fuel properly. I just think I've 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 sort of always done it, and I was before I won the title. I was actually fighting at bantamweight, which was fifty three point five, and I think just as I got older, it was just a little bit more of a struggle to make. Um, so I sort of come up a division in two kilos. That makes a huge difference. What is the jump? It's two kilos, is it? Two kilos, yes. Yeah. So from Bantam weight, 53.5 to Super Bantam is 55.35. Yeah. Who is your favourite Australian fighter at the moment? The males or females? Both. Give us one of each. Both. You know, actually after um, Ebony's last performance, uh, she did awesome in that fight. You know, she showed a lot of courage in there and a lot of strength, you know, just huge heart. Huge heart in that fight. So I'm a big fan of what Ebony's doing for um, Australian and women's boxing. And, you know, I don't really follow a lot of the the male boxing, but um, I'm liking what um, Justice Honey has to has to show in the, in the pro scene. He is just – I'm getting Bill to line it up to get him on. I think he, he will be the greatest heavyweight this country has ever seen. Daylight second. I think he's amazing. Right, yeah, no, he's, um, I've always, I've always been like, you know, he's going to be uh, such a great world champion one day. What's so special about like uh, that Pathania gym? I've been there a few times. Taken, I used to go there with a bloke called Greg Walker, and he had Corey McConnell, and um, that's a special gym. That joint. It is. It is. I just think it's like, you know, the talent that's come from there, the the commitment that the coach has given there, all these little things add up. You know, it's all about being uh, being a team and Epithania. What makes up, because we've had legendary boxing trainer Johnny Lewis on the show. We've had him a couple of weeks ago. And um, what makes a special trainer? I think it's about the connection that you have with your trainer. If you trust what he's doing um, and he's able to understand you as a person, like not everyone is the same. And I just find, like, if they can understand you and the way that you respond to tasks he wants you to do or things that he or she is asking of you, if you trust in what he's saying, he or she is saying, then I feel like that's that's what makes a good trainer, the connection and the trust. It's important to have that, isn't it? Would you ever train with a female? You know, if, if like, I'm pretty happy with the trainer I have that at, at the moment, but if there was, for whatever reason, you know, a female who had competed in the sport or maybe even who hadn't competed in the sport and somebody that I trust and I knew, like, I had done their work and put in some of the tasks that they were wanting to, me to do, of course, 100%, you know. Like, one day I'd love to be a... um a woman's boxing trainer after my career, I would love to go into um, training. What's the plans for, well, like you, you touched on it earlier, you know, getting making plans for after boxing. What are the plans for after boxing? I'm still unsure of that at the moment. Depends. TV presenter. <laughs> no, I don't think that's for me. I don't think presenting is for me. No? I def- I'm definitely a bit more hands-on. Like I like to do things. I like to be outdoors. I like doing activities. So computer work's probably not for me at all. I'd love to 
to possibly go down the path of things that I'm good at, you know, like whether it be management or trainer, you know, or nutrition, something along those lines. I think you've got an amazing story of that adaption sort of stuff and talking to young troubled kids. Well, you know what, that's, that was my other um, my other thing that I was going to go into, whether it be youth work or, you know, just helping younger kids get off the street and into something that they enjoy and that they're passionate about. There's a lot of talk of these troubled kids and everything like that. And, and I look at yourself, boxing, I, I've got this saying, and I don't mean to offend Christians, and I say boxing saved more lives than Jesus. Troubled ones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I spoke to Danny Green about about getting kids in, as you, you touched on it earlier, and, and you, you said it so well about uh, you know combat sports and the discipline that it gives them, and and mm-hmm. how it can change kids' lives. You know that's been the difference where I grew up. A lot of kids where I grew up, I grew up in Mount Druitt, uh, Western suburbs of Sydney. And the kids that were in the sport and had a direction, they you know they didn't seem to get into trouble. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I, I would when I um not really in fight camp I've done some work with some of the PCYC programs here you know I'd go in once a week and the kids I guess the naughty kids or the unfortunate kids they come after school they do an hour and they just love it like you see they come into class and they're like not very about it or they're quite shy and then once they get involved they love it and just the smiles on their face when they're leaving and then they come back the next week it's like oh that's really cool it's been amazing having you on. Like, you're one of my favourite female athletes. I, I think you won so many fans at, at Melbourne. Where you, you win over, like, that. that's tenacity. Thank you, Russell. I appreciate that. Loving what you're doing, loving the progression of your career, your commitment, your tenacity. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And thank you, BL. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, brother. And thank you, Neeks. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.